Last week, we considered the metaphor of the fact that in the gospel, we are invited to salvation. And when we trust in Christ as Savior, we who were His enemies are allowed to be seated at His table, His guests forevermore. And so Jesus, thank you, reminds us of that sense of gratitude to the Lord. None of us is deserving, and yet, by God's grace, all of us were invited to trust in the gospel and be forgiven of our sins and become children of the Father. It's that very gospel that destroys what would we call prejudice or partiality, right? When we understand before God that none of us deserves it, and yet all of us has been invited to trust in Christ, it should destroy any notion of pride or looking down on others, this word partiality, which we'll talk about a little bit today. As we look at our own lives, most of us would probably initially say, well, yeah, I'm not a partial person. I don't show favoritism or prejudice. I do see it in other people. They show favoritism and partiality, but I, I don't do that. Yet we tend to be blind to it in our own lives. How often, when we enter a room or a scenario or a group, are we sort of looking around the room, comparing who's better? Our outward assessment shapes the way we treat others. It's easy to view each other, to value one another based on uh, the apparent worth we perceive in their outward person who they are and how they live and maybe even things as fickle as what power they have or position or how much wealth they have. And we tend to respect people based on these outward things. We can be quite partial. The Lord, through the gospel, encourages us to look past the outward to the souls of people and to recognize that every soul is an eternal soul. And every person is a person in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in need of being right with their Creator by the peace that comes through the name of Jesus Christ. And so, whether it's the way a husband looks at his wife, or the wife looks at her husband, or two siblings look at each other, or the way we perceive our neighbors, or the way we look at our co-workers at the office, or at our professors at school, or whatever it would be, we, we view through the lens of the gospel. This reminds me that I was a sinner, dead and far from God, who needed the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection to save me. And so too, these around me, these souls are also those for whom Christ died and in need of His salvation. So as we consider this text, our theme somewhat continuing from last week is that everyone who trusts in the gospel of Jesus Christ will be saved. And the key word there is that everyone, there's no partiality with God, nor should there be with His people. Last week we watched as Peter's own self-righteousness was sort of torn down by God's help in his life, this vision that pushed him beyond his own judgmentalism. And 
Peter's heart changed and he was ready to show hospitality to these Gentile guests who visited him. And we saw that God invites everyone to salvation in Jesus Christ. Now in this second half of the story, we see that everyone who trusts in that gospel is saved. God is not partial. Now let's see how this unfolds. We're going to see a number of important, helpful applications for us as we consider this text. Number one, we're going to see that everyone needs to be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, again, gives us a level playing field. There's none of us that has it of our own strength. Everyone needs this salvation. It's not enough on our own. We can't earn it by our works. In this section, we see the meeting between Cornelius and Peter. And the highlight of this section is that God is not partial. Everyone needs to be saved. We'll notice that Peter is just a man who needed God's salvation. Cornelius is just a man who needed God's salvation. And to be saved, he needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 24, as we dig into this story, it's the next day, and we already see Cornelius' fear of God played out in verse 24. He's so expectant of this message from God, he's invited his close friends and family members to, to join him. A messenger from God is coming. You've got you to gotta come and hear what he has to say. He's gathered those near to him because he respects God and the Word of God. Peter arrives in verse 25, and Cornelius again shows his great respect for God and God's messengers. He actually bows to worship Peter, and I think this is a, you know, what we could call an innocent misunderstanding. Peter encourages him to stand up in verse 26. I am also a man, Peter says. And there's our first glimpse at the impartiality of God. Peter's just a guy. <laughs> Cornelius is just a guy, and they both need salvation in Jesus Christ. Peter's not the one to be worshipped here. Peter enters the room and talks with Cornelius on the way in. Verse 27 is actually quite scandalous to a Jewish reader. It says that Peter talked with him as they went in and found many who had come together. Those two phrases, talked with him and went in. Scandalous. Peter, an upright Jew, should not have done that according to Jewish customs. And we'll we'll see next week, Lord willing, in chapter 11, verse 3, how when he's around some fellow Jews, they ask him pointedly, you went in with uncircumcised men and ate with them. They're outraged. But here Peter enters, talking with Cornelius, maybe small talk. Who knows exactly what they're saying to one another as Peter enters into the house. Peter has been changed. God has instructed him and Peter is being obedient. In verse 28, Peter addresses the elephant in the room. At first, it almost sounds awkward coming out of Peter's mouth. As he enters the room with these Gentiles gathered and Peter and his small entourage, probably about six uh, Jewish Christians who come with him. And so you have this group of Gentiles and this group of Jews and Peter goes in and says, you know, I'm not supposed to be with you. But I think Peter's doing exactly what he should be doing. 
He's addressing the elephant in the room. If we were to be able to implant ourselves back into this culture, this wouldn't have been a surprising statement from Peter. I mean, I think all the Gentiles were probably thinking it. These Jewish brothers are probably thinking it. We're not supposed to be in here. In fact, he says to them in verse 28, you know it is unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go into one of another nation. They know it. So, I'm thankful Peter addresses the elephant in the room and gets it out there. You know, this is not according to Jewish custom. Now, not God's law, but Jewish custom, which was kind of that boundary zone around the law meant to keep them from breaking the law. Now, Peter's already broken it. He did it when he met the men from Joppa and invited them in, and now he's doing it again as he goes in with Cornelius here. Peter shows great humility at the end of verse 28. Notice what he says. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. God corrected Peter. Peter was obedient. I love the humility we see in Peter here. This is the fruit of the Spirit's evidence in Peter's life as he just submits to the Word of God and is obedient. And before these Gentiles, which certainly would have been tempting for Peter as a Jew, as seeing himself as one who has the truth, is now admitting to them, I was wrong. And I'm here because God commanded me to be here. Believer, when was the last time you submitted to the Word of God like this and with humility said to those around you, I was wrong. It's a neat picture of the Spirit's work in Peter's life. Verse 29, Peter continues to explain. He says, Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, and that implies that had God not spoken to him, had God not commanded him, he would have objected to coming. (laughs) But because God worked in his life, he did not object and he came. And now he's ready to speak to them. And we see uh, Peter's change of heart, I think, again at the end of verse 29 when he says, I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? He gives Cornelius the opportunity to speak. Peter could have walked in as the proud kind of ready, okay, I'm here to give you the truth, you know, just everybody listen up, I'm ready to share. But Peter gives Cornelius the platform and says, hey, you you share, why have you invited me to come? Cornelius then in verses 30 and following begins to explain, review the story. We heard this already back in chapter 10 verses 1 through 8 and Cornelius walks through it again. Here we learn that he he was indeed praying when that vision came to him. And he reminds us all about the angel who gave the instructions to Cornelius that God has heard his prayers and is sending a messenger. Verse 32, it's going to be Peter from Joppa staying with Simon the Tanner, and when he comes, he will speak to you. Verse 33, Cornelius does what he was commanded, and I love the end of verse 33. Look at it with me. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Boy, what a, what a great perspective. As Cornelius is ready, he's gathered, he said, we're here, we've gathered before the Lord, we want to hear this message from God. Oh, that our hearts would be there when we gather to hear the Word of God. What a wonderful perspective to approach the Lord like 
Peter and Cornelius do. Yes, Lord, we're ready to hear. We're ready to listen. Soften our hearts. We submit to your will. In verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and he's about to begin presenting the gospel. But the first thing he does in verses 34 and 35, the last two verses we'll look at in this section, is he summarizes what has just happened. He has now seen firsthand what God had shown him in the vision. And so he says in verse 34, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He's watched it unfold before him. God arranged in Cornelius' life with this vision from the angel, and God arranged in Peter's life that they would meet and that Cornelius would hear the gospel. Peter has seen it unfold. He believes it in truth. God shows no partiality. What's that mean on the positive side? Verse 35, In every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Now verse 35, like verse 34, is summarizing what just happened. Cornelius is the one being described in verse 35. One from any nation. And Peter is saying, I've learned it's not just about Cornelius, but anyone can be accepted by God to hear the message of the gospel. That phrase, accepted by Him, is not talking about salvation. It means acceptable to be invited to salvation, acceptable to hear the gospel. Because look at the description in verse 35. It's exactly what Cornelius did. He feared God and worked righteousness. I think this is referring to the principle we discussed last week from Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that God's attributes, the existence of God and the power of God can be seen in creation around us. Cornelius had responded positively to that revelation, not just in creation, but in the human beings around him. Cornelius had come to believe that God existed. And he respected that God. And then he learned from the Jews nearby that, ah, a little more information about this God. See, Cornelius was responding positively to the revelation he had. And so God ensured that Cornelius received the gospel. Peter has learned that anyone can be invited to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone. And just as Cornelius responds positively to the revelation from God... God sends the gospel to him so that he can believe and trust in Christ. We'll pause here before we listen to Peter's gospel message beginning in verse 36. Because here's where we see that everyone needs to be saved. You see, even Cornelius' works of righteousness, his fearing God, even that was not enough. He was accepted by God, yes, to receive the gospel. But as Peter will unfold, he needs to believe the gospel, to be saved. But not just Cornelius and the Gentiles. Peter, the delivery messenger here, is also just a man, one who himself needed to be saved. This first section reminds us that we all need to admit our need of salvation. Sometimes we don't like to admit our need. It could be our pride, it could be blindness, self-sufficiency, whatever we want to call it. Um, I'm that way myself. I don't like to admit that I need help. My default response when people offer things, oh, can I help? Can I do something? Nah, I'm good. I got it. That's how I respond. One such example of this 
It was back in my seminary days. I was moving from an apartment to a rental house, uh, kind of a, a duplex, and uh, you know, of course, hadn't asked for any help to move all of my possessions, and so it was like 500 trips in my uh, 1987 Oldsmobile uh, 98. That's what it is, Oldsmobile 98, yeah. And so I was making trips back and forth down the street, you know, moving everything. Well, then it came to my kitchen table, which was uh, something I'd found free in a dumpster. Yes, I went through that stage of life. Uh, it was this this heavy, heavy wood circle. I mean, it was way bigger than I needed, but it was free. So uh, that's what I had. And I had found a base for it, uh, a table base that was solid metal. It was about this big around, and it had a flat piece of metal on the top and a flat piece of metal on the bottom that stabilized the table. So what I'm trying to say is that it was heavy. Uh, so I decided I would move this table on my own, naturally, right? And so, it would, of course, it would not fit in the back seat of my Oldsmobile, but the trunks on those vehicles were quite large. So I thought to myself, I bet I can get this thing in the trunk. So somehow I managed to finagle it out of my home uh, with the top still attached. Why, I don't know, but this is how I decided to move it. And, and so, you know, rolling it up the stairs and outside and all this... Finally, I got the thing kind of leveraged, uh, leaning into my trunk and, you know, propped it up and closed the trunk enough that it sort of held the top of the table. And so it, you know, 90% of the table is outside of the trunk. 10% of the table is in the trunk, but it's in, right? It's there. It's balanced. Everything was just right. So I had it all wedged together. I just had to go down the road. It would be fine. So I pull out of the parking lot and uh, get ready to turn onto the first road, and there's a, there's a bump, a curb, out of the parking lot there. And so as I'm turning and accelerating and going over the bump, I hear this loud crash behind me. And I go, I bet I know what's happened. And sure enough, I look in my mirrors, and there's the table rolling in a circle on the middle of the street. Okay, well, that didn't go as well as planned. So, of course, my solution is to call for help, Right. No, put the table back in the trunk. The worst part of the trip is done. It's straight shot from here, so we should be good. So in went the table, and I completed my trip without further injury to the table or to my pride, unfortunately. So (laughs) we made it. But how many of us don't like to admit we need help? We put ourselves through scenarios like this because of our pride, our self-sufficiency, our sense of self-righteousness. But this kind of thinking is so destructive, especially when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thankfully, the truth of the gospel destroys our pride because it preaches to all of us that we are all equally needy, that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. What can a dead person do to work themselves towards salvation? Nothing. And so we're all equally needy before our God. All of us needs the gospel. And even after salvation, this levels the playing field once again. Because the truth of the gospel reminds me, oh, what was it that I brought to God to make me worthy of this salvation? What was it that I've done to make myself a great Christian? And the answer again is a big nothing. Nothing. See, the gospel just levels us all 
with humility and then gratitude to God. God is not partial. Praise God. And in His impartiality, He has invited everyone equally needy to trust in the salvation of Jesus Christ. We see this here in the text. He is not partial. Peter is one in need of salvation. Indeed, though Israel was God's chosen people, they were not the chosen people because they were special. They were the chosen people because God wanted to show His favor and His kindness to draw all peoples to Himself. So too with Christians. He's not chosen us because we were extra worthy. He's chosen us because we were unworthy. And He wanted to show His kindness to all people. That through us, the world might be drawn to salvation in Jesus Christ. So this removes our partiality and our judgmentalism towards other believers, towards unbelievers. It destroys our sense of competition. This can so often creep into our homes. Between a husband and a wife, it begins to be this competition of who's more spiritual Who's done more right and who's done more wrong? And The one who wants to have the upper hand begins to point out how the spouse has failed in these ways. And the husband uses his power to gain control over the, the spouse or the kids and prove his righteousness. Or the, or the wife uses her tactics as well to prove that the husband is the problem here and that she's the one who's better off. But the gospel destroys this kind of partiality among believers because we are all nothing. We're all sinners. See, I read through Job recently, and God humbles Job by asking him these questions. Remember the questions that God asked Job? (laughs) Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Uh, Well, I didn't exist, actually, so... (laughs) Oh, okay, okay, okay. Where were you when I gave the sea its boundaries and held the waters back? Yeah, I don't remember that, yeah. But not only does the sovereign power of God humble us, think of the way the gospel humbles us. We could ask ourselves these same kinds of questions. Lance, where were you when Jesus died on the cross? Oh, that's right, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. What was your penalty for the things you have done? Oh, that's right, it was death forevermore and separation from God. What was it that Jesus did for you? Oh, that's right, and he had to die for my sins. See, the gospel just humbles us. There's no partiality with God and there ought not be any partiality among us because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And so we approach Christianity with humility and tenderness to the Word of God that says, Lord, we are nothing. You are everything. Teach us and change us and grow us. And when our sins are pointed out by those around us, we, like Peter here, we say, I I was wrong. I repent. I hate my sin and I love Jesus. Lord, help me to grow even more. Because God is not partial. He didn't choose us because we were worthy. He chose us because we were unworthy to show His grace and His kindness. 
As we continue and watch this story unfold, we're going to see number two today, that everyone who believes the gospel will receive forgiveness of sins. Not only does everyone need it, but God brings his salvation to everyone who believes. You will receive forgiveness of sins. Peter enters this presentation of the gospel and God's impartiality continues to be a theme through this section here. All people need to be at peace with God. Jesus is Lord of all, Savior of all, and judge over all. So we continue to see the impartiality of God. Notice this gospel message beginning in verse 36. Peter first says, here is the word, here is the message that God first sent to the children of Israel. Of course, when God sent Jesus to be the Savior, the first place Jesus went was indeed Israel, wasn't it? It didn't end there. Jesus went to Samaria and even preached to Gentiles at points. Of course, Jesus presented his salvation was for all people, but it began with the children of Israel. Peter continues, he is Lord of all. See, not just Israel. Jesus is Lord of all, and he came preaching peace for all people, peace with God, peace with the Lord, the Lord of all. Peter goes on in verse 37, acknowledges that Cornelius has heard bits and pieces of this because it was preached all over Judea from beginning in Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Remember what happened at that baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist? Well, Peter reminds us in verse 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. See, at that baptism, all three members of the Trinity were there, present, affirming the ministry of Jesus Christ. God the Father from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit descending upon him as a dove, recognizing that Jesus is God's chosen Savior. Jesus is not just the Messiah for Israel, but the Savior for all people. In fact, it was at that very baptism. Do you remember what John the Baptist said? We studied it in John some months ago. As he saw Jesus coming, he pointed and said what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All people. All people. Jesus is the one anointed by God the Father with the Holy Spirit to be the Savior of the world. The triune God is united in this work of salvation through Jesus. Is that cool or what? It's fantastic. But that's not it. That's the beginning of the gospel in verse 38. God has anointed this Jesus to be Savior. Verse 39, Peter says, We're witnesses of what he did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on the tree. So here's our next gospel tidbit here. First, Jesus is the anointed Savior. Second, he died on the cross. The next gospel piece comes in verse 40. Whom God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not only did he die for sinners, he rose from the grave. You see, Peter's unfolding the gospel message for Cornelius and those gathered there. Verse 41, Jesus was shown openly, 
God had chosen specific witnesses to be with him, even to eat with him, to prove that this was a bodily resurrection, not just some phantom image or something like that. But Jesus, in the flesh, rose from the grave. Peter was one of those very witnesses, and so he's bringing this full circle. I knew him, I saw him, I watched him do these miracles, I witnessed his death, I witnessed his resurrection, and now I'm here testifying to you that Jesus is the Savior. But he doesn't end there, verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people. So that preach is to share the gospel. That's what Peter's doing here, to share with all people that Jesus is the Savior. But there's something else. And to testify, that word testify can mean warn. To warn that it is He who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Now Jesus, in this passage, has been called Lord of all, Savior, Christ, anointed by God, and now here, judge of all. And Peter says, the living and the dead. Because by His resurrection, Jesus has proved that He is the resurrection and the life and will raise all to life. So there's no escaping His judgment, not even through death. He judges all people. He's Lord of all, Savior of all, judge of all. There's no partiality with God. This is a rich gospel message from Peter to Cornelius and these believers. And so even there he warns them, you must have peace with this judge. You must be saved by the Savior because one day he's coming as judge. And there's no exceptions. There's no partiality. Salvation is in his name alone. Verse 43. He concludes his gospel presentation with the invitation to respond to the gospel. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That phrase, remission of sins, means forgiveness of sins. And so Peter has just laid it out here. He's Lord of all, he's Savior of all, he's Judge of all, and he's coming again to judge. And just like the scriptures in the Old Testament prophesy, it's through the name of Jesus, Lord, Savior, Judge, That anyone who believes in Him receives remission of sin. No partiality with God. Anyone who believes receives forgiveness of sins. No matter what they've done, no matter their history, no matter their track record, no matter their ethnicity, no matter where they live, no matter when they came to Christ, no matter anything. Because He's Lord of all, Savior of all, Judge of all, and the only way of salvation is through His name. Everyone who believes is forgiven. Praise God for this gospel message. And as they listen, there's an amazing response. We'll study that in our last point. But I just want to pause here and think about the the wideness in God's mercy. All who believe are forgiven. There's no fine print. There's no side note saying, well, if you did this, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. No, it's anyone who believes? All of us. We're used to fine print. We're used to exceptions to great deals. It's free! You know, all the fine print at the bottom or the end of the radio ad or whatever it is. All the fine print. I came across one ad from a toy store. So it was a coupon at this toy store. I will not mention which toy store it is, but it's 
a store that really only sells toys, okay? <laughs> so here's what the coupon said, right? It, it gives the valid dates, uh, you know, January 1st through January 31st uh, for use on one item only, one transaction only, all right? So here begins the fine print after the toy coupon. Offer available in-store only excludes all toys, Really, I have it printed off right here. This is a real thing. Like, what? what, is it, what? it goes on, in case you didn't recognize that this does not include any toys or excludes all toys, it goes on to list. You can see there's a long list here. Alphabetically, the toy brands that are not included in this sale. And so we've got things from uh, Hot Price Items, Adidas Apparel, American Girl, yada, yada. It's alphabetical. There's so many, they had to make it alphabetical. So you go down the list of all the brands that are excluded from this toy sale. Talk about some disappointing fine print. Hi, I've got this coupon. I've come to purchase my toy. Oh, I'm sorry. It doesn't include toys. Do you sell anything else? Nope, it's just toys. Okay. Well, see you later then. <laughs> We're used to fine print, but with God, there's no partiality. Jesus is Savior of all. And all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ receive forgiveness of sins. There's no fine print. God keeps His word, and that offer of salvation is genuine. This means that everyone needs to respond to this message about Jesus. He really lived. Like Peter is saying here, I saw Him. He really lived. He really lived a perfect life. He really died for sinners. He really rose again. What will you do with Jesus? Everyone needs to be ready for His return as judge. I wonder what will your claim be before the judge of the universe? Cornelius could not claim his fear of God, his prayers, or his generosity. His good works were not enough. Peter had to come and explain to him the gospel that Jesus paid for his sins, and only by faith in Jesus Christ would Cornelius be saved. Friend, your good works are not enough. Only in the name of Jesus Christ can you know forgiveness of sins and peace with the Lord of all. Would you trust in Jesus Christ That on that day, before the judge, your claim would be simply that you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. That's it. He's my claim. He's it. My hope is in Jesus. He died for me and rose again. Who are you trusting for your salvation? As we come to the final section of this text in verses 44 through 48, we notice something that God does here. As Peter is still speaking, verse 44 tells us, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And clearly the the, the idea of them hearing the word means more than just that audibly they heard it. They, They received it. They believed it. They trusted in the name of this Jesus Lord of all and Savior of all and Judge of all. They believed in the true identity of Jesus. And what's significant in this section is that they received the Holy Spirit. Three times the name of the Holy Spirit comes up. Verse 44, 45, and 47. And so in our third point today, what we see is this, is that everyone who believes 
also receives God's Spirit and is united to the church. See, God doesn't stop halfway with His salvation. It's not just some of you, well, you, you kind of got partial salvation. You were a pretty bad person, so it only goes this far. No. God's salvation is complete because there is no partiality with God. And so when somebody trusts in Christ as Savior, not only are their sins completely washed away, but the Holy Spirit completely dwells in them. Praise God. There is no partiality with God. Notice how this unfolds. The Holy Spirit falls on them because they believed. And this is just amazing in verse 45. To the the Jewish Christians who are there, they're astonished. They're called those of the circumcision. It's referring to the Jews in the room. They were astonished. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now, this phrase, the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, should get our brains thinking back to Acts chapter 2, when the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on those who believed in Jesus there in Jerusalem at Pentecost. I think God intends the reader and these Jews who were there on that day to sort of see this as like like a Gentile Pentecost, that Without, beyond any shadow of a doubt, God is in the business of saving all people. And the Spirit testifies to that. It's the proof that God has saved these who have believed on Jesus. They've now received the Holy Spirit. And just to confirm that, God gives the same miracle that they experienced at Pentecost. Do you remember what happened? They were speaking in foreign languages and magnifying God. Well, what happens here? Verse 46, they heard them speaking with tongues, foreign languages, and (laughs) magnifying God. The same miracle that took place with the Jews in Jerusalem at Pentecost now is taking place with the Gentiles. God is confirming beyond a shadow of a doubt that this salvation is indeed for everyone. Peter then wisely asks in verse 47, Is there any reason we can forbid water that these should not be baptized who have clearly received the Holy Spirit just as we have? There's no distinction now between Jew or Gentile. They've trusted in Jesus and they receive God's Spirit in its fullness. And so Peter says, okay, let's take the next step. You're saved. You've you've been, this is later called the baptism of the Spirit. You've received God's Spirit. What's the next thing? Outward baptism. It's the next step of fellowship with the church. So Peter encourages them on to take that next step. And so in verse 48, indeed, they are baptized in the name of the Lord. And the passage ends with what should be a surprising statement. But because what God has done, it's not surprising. It says, they asked him to stay a few days. Stay with them a few days. God has destroyed the barriers between Jew and Gentile in the early church with the truth of the gospel. Now Peter is in a room with his brothers and sisters in Christ. Not Jews by birth, but now children of the Father because they've trusted in Jesus. Everyone who believes receives God's Spirit. There's no exceptions. We're used to organizations that have member privileges. 
As we've been preparing for our flight to Brazil, we're flying with uh, United. And I have a, a membership in their you know, rewards program or whatever. Um, I don't think I've ever flown enough to actually get anything, but I'm in, right? I, I'm at least a member of it. And so they want you to log in with your you know, premier code or whatever it's called. And, and so you can check how many rewards you have. And it's you know, always like zero. Okay. But it's free. You know, you can sign up. Anybody can be a member, and there's really hardly any benefit at all unless you fly a ton. But then when you get to the airport, especially if it's a United hub, you'll find at a lot of these airports there's what is called the United Club. Maybe you've seen one of these somewhere. They're actually somewhat hidden. Uh, usually it's just a singular door that says United Club Members, Right? And so, you know, as a member of their honors rewards program, I thought, well, you know, surely I, I'm in the club, right? And so, you know, you see this door, and it's just like all of a sudden everything behind the door, you peek in, and it's, everything's nice, you know, and there's nice seats and drinks available and, you know, help. And, oh, this looks like a really nice place. Do you think I have the privilege of entering the United Club membership area in the airport? No, I don't. No, I don't. Signing up for the free rewards program, oddly enough, does not give you the privilege to become a a club member and to enter this premier seating area in their airport. Thankfully, I realized that before I walked in and was rejected, but did a little research and found out, yeah, that's not for me, is it? It's not for me. We're used to clubs and membership and special privileges and all of this. But when it comes to God's salvation, everyone who trusts in Jesus receives God's Spirit and is united to the church. There's no extra privileges or special privileges or holier Christians. There's nobody who receives more of God's Spirit. No, it's all of Him for all of us who've trusted in Jesus. In the same truth, there's no subpar believer. Well, you've done enough things wrong, we're taking away some privileges. No. All of us, no matter what we've done or what we will do, you see, Jesus knew the completeness of our sin when He died on the cross. And when He washed away our sins at salvation, it was all of our sins. And when He sent His Spirit to dwell in us, it was the complete Spirit of God. And when He joined us to His people, the church of Jesus Christ, it was complete union with the church forever. You can't lose it. You can't become unworthy. There's no subpar believer. And so, friend, if you've trusted in Christ as Savior, God's Spirit is in you. This gives us hope and confidence, and help. I I didn't receive less than the guy next to me. I have all that I need in Christ and by God's Spirit to say no to sin and to say yes to God and to let God change me and grow me as His Word speaks into my life. As you became a member of the body of Christ, some other things happened. You're united to the universal church, God's redeemed people across the globe since the day of Pentecost. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we will all one day sing together His praises. 
You're a member of that people if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. But as Peter encourages us here, not just baptized in the Spirit and a member of the universal church, he encourages them to take the next step and be baptized physically, outwardly, visibly, to be joined to a local church, to live out that universal church membership in a visible church, to be a part of the visible people of God who love one another, who are a light in the darkness that people from all nations will be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ, to participate in the very mission of God And each of us, as a member who's trusted in Christ, has a role. As 1 Corinthians 12 lays out, we all have a different role. And as he's very clear, it's not a point of honor. Ah, well, I have this role, so I'm better than this guy. No, 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 the gospel just destroys that thinking. The point of 1 Corinthians 12 is that we all need each other as members of the body of Christ to the glory of God. So fulfill what God has made you to be in Christ, a functioning, thriving member of His body. Everyone who believes, no exclusions, receives His Spirit and is joined to His church. That leaves us asking today, what is your next step? See, as we see with God, there's no partiality. We all will have to give answer to the judge of all Maybe your next step is to find salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of all, Savior of all, Judge of all. Would you trust in Him today and find forgiveness of sins and peace with your judge? Maybe your next step is to become one who then preaches the gospel, like Peter here, willing to cross whatever barriers there might be, recognizing that ah, I'm just a guy who's been saved by the blood of Christ Lord, use me to preach the gospel to whoever needs to hear it. Maybe your next step is to join with a local church, having been made a member of the universal church by the indwelling Spirit in you, then to join a local church and participate in God's mission to build His church around the globe to the glory of God in Christ. What is your next step today? With God There is no partiality. This leaves us humbled and grateful and thankful and joyful and confident and ready to live for Him and for His glory. Father, we thank You so much for the truths of this passage. We thank You that You are not partial. You do not show favoritism. And though we were all completely unworthy, You have shown Your love by sending your Son to be our Savior. We rejoice in this and we praise you for this. Help us today to live for Jesus in light of what he's done for us, to see the world through the gospel lens, all people as souls in need of a Savior. And may we be the very light you have commanded us to be in your word. Help us to carry out your mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.